our cool little capital is getting a little stressed. Well, Wellington City Council has agreed unanimously to drop plans to spend hundreds of millions of dollars uh, on fixing up Civic Square and the City to Sea Bridge. It's just two of what are many expensive projects, including cycleways, that look like they will be put on hold. These are big cuts. And I think the point of contention is obviously whether this amounts to a financial crisis. Wellington City Council is looking at selling its share in the city's airport. It's struggling with a lot. All we're talking about are these debts, rates increases, the town halls spiralling in budget, rifts around the council table. We have to keep within our borrowing limits. If we don't, we just can't borrow. We can't just keep sweeping it under the carpet. And it's not unique to Te Whanganui Atara. Christchurch City Council, heavily in debt, says if nothing's done, rates there could face a sharp rise. Mayor Phil Major has said the City Council is, quote, in shit creek financially, and cuts are on the cards. Why is it that Auckland Council is looking at raising rates and water bills next year? Well, it really boils down to budget pressures. There's inflation, interest costs on debt... Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, we look at what's causing the suffering in Wellington. And is debt a dirty word? Why councils just can't keep borrowing to pay for desperately needed infrastructure upgrades? My name's Joel McManus, and I'm the Wellington editor of The Spin-Off. You've covered quite a bit about the Wellington City Council trying to figure out its long-term plan. You decided to live-vlog it. How was that? Did you have fun? Yeah, had a blast. It was a interesting challenge because long-term plans are really, really important in terms of local government and sort of defining cities, and it's, it's kind of the best chance any mayor gets to put their stamp on the city. They won't have to worry about the quality of their water, yeah. or they won't have to pay for the impacts of climate change. Yeah. That, is, that is our responsibility. But they are absolutely mired in bureaucratic treacle that it's, it's it's so hard to sort of cover really and because there's sort of multiple meetings and multiple phases even reporting it can be difficult and and certainly the general public it can be you know incredibly difficult so yeah we had this idea that we'd, we'd try to live blog it and give it a bit of life and personality well how long was the meeting Seven hours and 39 minutes, <laughs> Oh, yeah, you know exactly. Okay. I mean, live vlogging a seven and a half hour meeting for the council. I mean, why? <laughs> um, the why is that it really was, I think if you care about the politics of council and cities, it is one of those moments in Wellington that could sort of set the vision of the city. Where we provide better solutions for our whānau, sleeping rough in the streets, more homes, more support services. We've just had Tory Fano elected last year as a Green Mayor with a strong majority, and this was sort of one of the best chances that a new mayor gets to put a stamp on a city. But as we'll get into, she kind of didn't get the chance to do that due to a lot of financial constraints. Yes, yeah, so a lot of what we're going to talk about, it's not a done deal. There could be changes, is that right? There could be changes, but if there are changes, they are more likely to be more cuts than stuff going back in. Okay, well, let's have a look at some of the decisions that were made. What were the big ones? Funnily enough, one of the most notable ones was actually completely unanimous, which was there was a $240 million line for 
repairing various buildings in Civic Square. Well, Wellington City Council has agreed unanimously to drop plans to spend hundreds of millions of dollars uh, on fixing up Civic Square and the City to Sea Bridge. It's just two of what are many expensive projects, including cycleways, that look like they will be put on hold. So the City to Sea Bridge is this very iconic bridge over the highway in Wellington that connects the lagoon to Civic Square. There's also a basement under Civic Square and the former Capital E building, which is under the bridge. That was going to be, yes, $240 million, and that was essentially the biggest new budget line. But this came... Two weeks after the council very reluctantly agreed to increase the repair budget for the town hall up to $330 million. Extremely tough to hear, but not unexpected. That's how Wellington's mayors responded to another blowout for the city's town hall project. They were just pissed off about having to continue to pump more money into earthquake strengthening of old buildings. So there was this clear kind of sense around the table that everyone was like, no, we're done with this. We're not going to just keep repairing everything we'll just tear it down and do something different. Any idea what it will be replaced with? Because that's quite an iconic area in Wellington. You know, walking past the library, going down there to the waterfront, it's beautiful. I mean, it really is. And Civic Square is this place that every major protest begins. The City to Sea Bridge kind of has these gorgeous views and it's it's very strangely built. It's got all these sculptures. It's very Wellington. There's no idea really what it will be replaced with. They set up a budget line to explore options, including demolition, so it's very early days. Yeah, what other cuts are we seeing? There were really cuts across the board. Some of the most notable ones was big cuts to the cycling and walking budget, which was really notable for a, for a green mare. And then just a lot of bitsy cuts, you know, you're talking like, various skate parks and dog parks and pools and all these little things dotted around the city that were all just kind of scraping money off the bottom wherever they could. So we've talked about all these cuts, but there must be something they're spending the money on? Tori Fano's biggest thing that she's sort of celebrating out of this is what she's calling a a city growth fund, an urban regeneration fund to revitalise Courtney Place. And so... There's a bit of money in there to do things like new lighting, new street ambassadors. There's two new parks sort of in and around the centre city. This isn't the biggest pool of funding, but you can see that if that works, that'll make a huge difference to the city because Courtney Place is that major entertainment and hospo hub. Right now it's looking pretty tired. Courtney Place, as we know, has kind of been run into the ground a bit, is in dire, a dire state. Uh, we don't have reading open. When you don't have enough foot traffic in the city, you, you get these kind of antisocial type behaviours. Yeah, it can be just kind of freaky. I'm not super comfortable around there. Um, things are just like quite grimy, quite gross. And just, mm. yeah, it's just the whole vibe is just like completely off. You have to think, you know, Get a few new lights in there, spruce it up, make it look nice. Obviously, if the Golden Mile upgrade sort of comes in and makes it a lot better, that's going to kind of send an immediate signal that Wellington is spruced up, there's more going on, and and that kind of stuff reverberates across the entire city. Are you going to progress and sign part of the pedestrianisation of the Golden Mile before that government's signed in. Where does that sit at the moment? So my understanding is that the contract is still with, uh, with officers uh, and they're going through the details. Um, so it's still 
still progressing uh, in its current form. And look, I'll, I'll keep supporting the Golden Mile and projects that have already been signed off by council. And then there's the airport. Uh, they decided they want to sell the council's 34% shareholding in it. A majority of Wellington City councillors, including the mayor, voted to consult the public about a plan to sell the council's stake in the airport. Was that a surprise? That was a surprise given the history of public ownership with this airport. I mean, an argument over whether or not to sell Wellington Airport was one of the big reasons why Winston Peters and Jim Bolger split up their government. Like This is, this goes back a long time and there's some people that feel extremely passionate about retaining these strategic assets. It wasn't necessarily a surprise to those who were following the council, but certainly to the, to the general public it was. The logic from the council, and this was something Tory effectively supported, was that the ownership of the airport doesn't actually give the council any control or any power. They have a minority stake. It's effectively just an investment fund. And they would rather sell those shares, use that money, not to pay down debt or fund other things. They're just talking about shifting it to a different investment fund. They just didn't want to own the airport. They wanted to diversify that fund more because if Wellington gets hit by a big earthquake or a natural disaster of any kind, they'd rather their assets be invested in things that aren't going to be affected by that. If they get hit by an earthquake, Wellington Airport is not going to be worth a whole lot and they're not going to be able to sell those shares to help rebuild the city. Mm-hmm, okay. And when we see a Green Mayor, we expect progressive change. You could argue that the Green Fund could be progressive change. Are there any other progressive ones in this uh, long-term plan or where it is at the moment? Honestly, not a lot. The Centre City Revitalisation Project will be a green win. A lot of the stuff that the Greens are really keen on is kind of already baked in. Like last long-term plan, they managed to push through a really big investment for cycleways across the city. This time, obviously, you know, Tori Fano's proposal actually peered that back a lot, but they are saying they will still kind of have the same length of cycleways. They're just kind of going to be lower quality, effectively. But really, this was a bit of a rock and a hard place situation. Like Tori Fano, obviously, you have to think she wanted to do some big progressive things, but the council's financial situation was obviously really constrained, and you can see there's a bit of concern about rate rises going too high. You can see why a green mayor would be probably punished especially hard if it, if spending is seen to be out of control. It seemed like the reaction very much was. Almost austerity, right? Pull everything back, cut, 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 try to keep costs low. Today, a number of proposals that you have obviously been keen on in the past, scale back. Is that consistent with your green vision? Oh, not all of them. And um, some of those I didn't vote for, um, but I've respected the democratic process. This budget forced so much spending cuts. And when you look at the reasons why, local government New Zealand will talk about a lot of things like councils need new revenue and all of that, but... When you look around Wellington, the town hall is going to cost $330 million. The library is going to be enormously expensive. So many of the pipes are breaking. And kind of all of this stuff comes back to earthquake issues. The 2016 Kaikoura earthquake caused so much kind of micro-fractures across Wellington. It's just kind of spread. And suddenly, over the years, particularly with new earthquake standards coming in, Everything suddenly needed to be repaired, everything was broken, and costs have just kept ticking up and up and up and up and up, and 
Wellington City Council was very much hoping that Three Waters reform would take the pipes off their books at least. That would give them something less to worry about and uh, maybe open up some room for other stuff. I would prefer the Three Waters approach um, and uh, that's something that I campaigned on uh, when I ran for mayor as well. But with that not going through, suddenly there's not a lot of room for much else. Wellington really does seem to be the poster child uh, for all these problems that are, you know, cracks, literal cracks in the city. How does it compare, you know, to other places around the Motu? Well, oh, look, we know that local government's under a lot of strain sort of across New Zealand. You know, Wayne Brown in Auckland made that really clear about, about the council books. My predecessors borrowed their way into this mess. You're not going to borrow your way out. We, we just can't use debt. And um, just using rates... Uh, is too tough on everybody. You know, we know that central government's looking at local government reform already. An independent review of local government has recommended a complete overhaul to improve the way councils are run. It's made a raft of suggestions, including lowering the voting age to 16 and merging councils. Local governments are going to need new funding tools, they're going to need to be reshaped. Uh, possibly amalgamated. You know, there's a lot of things that you could say that isn't working about councils right now. But you are right, sort of Wellington has perhaps um, just some of those issues that have been even worse. Now, why is Wellington making all these cuts? Here's Mia Tori Fano again. I'm very, very keen to keep our rates a lot lower, keep us in our debt limit. There's that word again. Debt. Records show at the end of the last financial year, Wellington owed $1.25 billion. How much of an issue is it when councils hold large debts? Former local government NZ President Stuart Crosby is a Bay of Plenty regional councillor, and he was the mayor of Tauranga for 12 years from 2004 to 2016. Wellington is not the only council that's in that situation where they require a lot more revenue to do projects, be they renewals like in their waters, or replace buildings because the earthquake code may have changed. You know, we have 78 local government authorities, and I'm sure all 78 of them under pressure in some shape or form. So as Wellington, um, it seems like a bit of ground zero, though. I mean, is it just that, or is it a higher profile because it's our capital city? Uh, yes, it is probably one of the more highlighted councils. You could probably go up and down the country from Northland down to uh, Gore and they'll all have issues of some shape or size when it comes to uh, funding existing infrastructure or building new infrastructure uh, to meet the community's needs. A word that's been uh, bandied around a lot, it's, if we've heard it from all sides in the media, is financial crisis when it comes to Wellington. Are you in a financial crisis? a financial crisis uh, yet, like, and I, so I don't want people to panic. Could it be in that ballpark? I mean, we, we just don't know yet. Do you think that a financial crisis is a bit of a media beat-up? Look, it's heading towards a crisis. Um, Wellington may well define themselves in that position already, but as I talk about the whole 78 authorities up and down New Zealand, they're all trending towards significant pressure. Local government is not sustainable with the mechanisms we have at the moment. One way you might think of funding is through debt. How appealing is debt? Uh, you've been a mayor. Do people like the sound of going into debt? Probably not. <laughs> oh, no, look, that was a dirty word in local government. You know, <laughs> you, know you go to ratepayers meeting and you get beaten up if you had $5 million worth of debt, let alone $50 million or, okay. or $200 million. 
But it has changed a little bit over time as people have understood that it's just a financial instrument that should be used where appropriate, uh, particularly in helping funding infrastructure that will last over many, many years. Let's say a pipe going from A to B, it costs $200 million to put in. Why should it be funded just out of operational rates that one or two generations are paying for? It needs to be spread over many generations. And that's, in fact, uh, in the Local Government Act as well about how we operate financially. So it's just an instrument. It's actually relatively conservative in local government world compared to the private sector, but it should be as well. Why would you go for debt? Uh, I mean, I've done a little bit of reading up, as, as I should do before an interview, and uh, I've read the local government guidelines. They talk about the golden rule of fiscal policy, which means you should only borrow to invest and not fund current spending. Is, uh, is that about right? Absolutely. You should not borrow to run the operation of a council for one year, unless there's some extraordinary circumstance and you can pay it back very quickly. It's like putting your groceries on the credit card, let's say for $100 a week, but only paying back 20 It doesn't end well. So you just do not borrow money for the operation of council, but you can borrow money uh, to build infrastructure and fund assets. That's quite appropriate. Do you think that most councils around the country follow that golden rule? Yes, they do, because they're audited by Audit New Zealand. Audit New Zealand uh, are very strong in looking at that particular aspect. As I say, in the extraordinary circumstances like COVID um, and potentially a council that's had a major disaster, they may well borrow very short term for operational purposes, but it should not be built into their uh, financial strategy. Well, how do you borrow money for debt? as a council? Oh, okay. So our borrowing tools at the moment are generally through the local government and funding agency, which is a tremendous entity that was uh, put in place a few years ago and is backed by government guarantee. In the good days, we were uh, getting um, our debt at a below 2%. And oh. some of that is carried forward at the moment through to different renewal dates, like 26 or 28 uh, they can raise bonds, uh, which they often do, or they, they could go to the bank. Uh, but most council debt now over time would be carried with the local government funding agency because that's the best deal that they can get. And how do you measure debt? That's a good question. Um, obviously, the accountants keep tab of it, so you can go to any council's balance sheet and see uh, what debt they actually owe at any one point in time and what's projected as well. Uh, and what's been paid off. Okay, and there's also a limit to the amount of debt you can have as a council. How is that set? Uh, that's correct. There are various limits. So to begin with, all councils have a funding and financing strategy slash a range of policies. And within that, uh, they'll consult on that and that'll set their limits. Uh, one of the main ones is that the interest carried per year cannot exceed 20% generally of uh, the revenue that they collect from rates and user fees and charges. And they may have other limits of 250% or 300% of revenue would be the limit as well. So this all means that you can't just go out all wild on debt and fund everything over that long-term period. There's a, there's a clear limit to what you can do. No, you can't. There are two major limits. One is the financial limit and the limit is what you should be using it for uh, as well. If three waters happened, 
wouldn't it have been a good thing because it would have lifted the debt ceiling and uh, councils could spend money on other stuff? Well, both Labor and National um, had a similar policy in terms of finances, and that's really to get off council's balance sheet. So the former policy, let's call it that at the moment, of the Labor government was to set up these entities and debt was transferred to them and they raised their own money to to fund uh, and build new Three Waters infrastructure um, and operate it as well by sending people a bill. The main point of objection to that was ownership. And while it was never explained properly, it was felt that the ownership was heading out of council community hands to some other entity. But what was really happening was control was. Uh, that was a huge issue. So current government proposal, as I understand it, are uh, you could set up a, a regional water entity under what we call council-controlled organisations. Now, some councils already have that in their three-water space, like Greater Wellington, and take it off uh, the balance sheet from that point of view and raise debt. The reality is a council-controlled organisation doing three waters is still part of a council group so financially as well. So we'll just have to see how that new opportunity plays out. But at the end of the day, there needs to be more investment uh, into the three waters assets of local government uh, in New Zealand. And it's got to happen pretty quickly. Uh, just on to Wellington now and its debt. What do you know about Wellington's debt and, you know, if it's lower or higher compared to other parts of the country? Oh, I haven't had a good look into their current balance sheet. Uh, but clearly, as they're going through their long-term plan, like all councils are doing at the moment, which have to be complete by 1st July next year, they've identified some serious um, funding issues that will need to be addressed, probably with uh, more debt and or sale of or transfer of assets and trade-offs and decision-making about what they're actually going to do. And to a greater or lesser extent, all councils will be doing that as well. So they increased its debt ceiling or debt-to-revenue ratio from 175% to 225%. What exactly does that mean? Well, that's still within uh, the parameters of local government. Generally, that can go up to 250 In COVID, it was allowed to go up to 280%. Mm. So basically, that means it's quite a conservative ratio of what you can borrow compared to your revenue you get in every year. Well, look, thanks, Stuart. Look, um, just before we go, any other comments about the future of local government in New Zealand? The Labour government had quite a lot of reforms on the way. Uh, any message for the incoming government as they start to get going? Uh, look, the main thing is that uh, we develop a good partnership with central government because central government cannot achieve their dreams and ambitions uh, without local government who we'll often deliver them. we just got to think a little bit more differently in 2023 than we have over the last 120 years uh, because that simply hasn't worked. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Joel McManus and Stuart Crosby. Ma te wa.